to give you once again Brother Parks Walker. We're so glad you're here today. We love you. have to forgive me if I get a little bit emotional. Some of you know me for a long time know that that happens. But this is a very special day in a whole lot of ways. Boy, I never like to blind it. <laughs> As I look out over this place, I marvel. It's good to be here and be a part of this very, very special occasion. First, let me thank each of you for the many cards and the memorials you sent me in memory of my sweet wife, Edith. As you know, she went home to be with the Lord in July. As some of you know, she loved books and loved the church library. She loved to read. And she made good use of that library. And so when so many of you began to send money and memorials from you and from other places, my thought was, rather than use it for something that would pass away, I wanted it to be used for the library here. And you've seen some pictures on the slides where the pictures are taken in the new library over there. And the shelves that are around. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And then when I saw that glass window and the window that you fixed for her in memorial and memory of her, it was beyond my comprehension. And I want to thank you so much for making that possible. For you know, she loved the library and she loved this church. And I just want you to, if by chance you haven't been nowhere to check it out, you do that. Somebody that's been a lot of work going on, and it's wonderful, wonderful as I think about that. And I just want to say thank you, thank you. And as we walked around, <coughs> pardon me, as we walked around in there today, and I looked at that and enjoyed it, and I could just almost see her smiling and hear her rejoice, and then I can hear her say, what's all the fuss about? And because that's the type she was, but I so appreciate that. And you, and now that the library is there, go and use those books like she did. Some of you may know, and I've talked about this before, uh, and I, at the funeral I mentioned the fact that we were young people, and I, I met her, but Pastor... Uh, I don't know whether your library worked out like this or not, but I met her in the library when we were teenagers, and we did some courting in the library. <laughs> but that was so special, and I'm glad that you fixed this library in memory of her. Brother Mark asked me to share some of the history of Crestwood with you. 
And so here goes. There's no way that we could do it all. As I look out over the congregation, there's many of you here that were here at the beginning. But on the other hand, there's many who are rejoicing from heaven today. Many of the saints of God who helped put this together that some of you never got to know personally, physically, but they're rejoicing over this in heaven today. Some in an older age, some at much too young at the time that they went. But God knew what he was doing. But as we start this and we go in, you know, I, I, I think I'll do it anyway. If, if you were here a part of the, uh, when we first began, and I know there's a few of you here when we first began, maybe it wasn't in the first services, but when the mission was a, was a mission and we was meeting in the little bill, if you was in some of that, will you just stand? You may need some help standing up. Uh, but look around. Give them a hand. That's my people. And then time went on. But let's go back. As I take a look back, the Emanuel Baptist Association, and I'm not even sure it was named Emanuel at that time and the association went that far back. But way back yonder, someone had a vision of a church in this area. Over in the fellowship hall now, you'll see a sign as in the future home of a Southern Baptist church. Many years ago, I was pastoring first in uh, Whitley Memorial Baptist Church in Groves and then in Rosedale Baptist there in Beaumont for many years. And we had, our children were young, and we had a, a place up at Ivanhoe. And we would drive up to Ivanhoe and uh, to spend some time and Every time that we would pass along this way, and I got news for you folks, there was a heap of nothing out here then except from trees. But we would come along the road and we would see that sign, a future home of a Southern Baptist Church. The association had purchased this property with the vision of starting a church. And my children would say, Daddy, where are the people coming from? I said, they'll come when the time is there. But as time went on, uh, that sign uh, was there, all because of the vision of a mission-minded association. And as I, that sign was there for a long time, and I'm glad that someone put a replica of it of the same one up in the fellowship hall there. As I look back over those years, and I had no idea when we would see that sign, and when I'd pass, that God would give me the privilege of being the first pastor of that church. But I thank God for a mission-minded association that thought about that. That was before Lumberton boomed and grew, grew so much. But yet somehow, some way, somebody had the idea that it was going to. And the Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. And there was a vision there. Time went on. And Pinecrest Baptist Church Again, I thank God for mission-minded churches. Pine Christ Baptist Church up at Silsby. When they really began to get the mission together after all those years, uh, became the uh, mother church of the mission. And as they began to work that together. And then 
the Baptist General Convention of Texas began to work with her. And they supported the dream. And at that time, it was just a dream. And after I came and became a part of it, the Baptist General Convention of Texas helped pay my salary for three years along with, uh, with Pine Crest Baptist Church. They furnished the plans for the first building that we'll talk more about after I go on. And then they helped pay for that permanent building. As time went by and the mission began to start, a little building, and I was going to look to see today, but right down the road here a little ways, there was a little building sitting on the side of the highway in front of a home. And if I remember right, that was where the mission actually started. And uh, they were meeting on Thursday night. I don't know if some of you are part of that uh, or not, but I know some of the saints were part of going on to glory. And uh, they met on Thursday night. The property was here. Then later on, that first portable building. And somewhere I had some signs, uh, some pictures of those buildings. And those of us that are there with, we had the pictures in our mind. Uh, that portable building was sitting on the, on the property up there. And they began to have Sunday morning services. Brother Carter, uh, brother, brother known as Brother Hook, uh, was doing the preaching. By the way, uh, Brother Mark, he was one of my preacher boys. And grew up and, and was what, and, but he was doing the preaching and Randy Stanton would come and, and lead the singing and they would, uh, come over from Pinecrest in the morning and they would have the service here and then rush back to Pinecrest for the services over there. And I, that went on for several months. I don't know exactly how long, but that was taking place and people were beginning to come, uh, uh to the mission. And then I think about how closely I came to my own stupidity and hard-headedness of not being the pastor, having the privilege of being the pastor of this church. I was pastor of Blodgett Street Baptist Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Some of you know that. Brother Carter Hook, as I, as I knew him, who I said was one of my preacher boys, and he pastor of the Pine Christian, who was the mother church, he began to write me some letters about the mission. And in the letters, he said, I, I believe God wants you to be the pastor of that mission. I wasn't interested. And then he would call me on the phone several times, and uh, we'd talk about it, and I told him that, you know, I was proud for him, but I, I wasn't interested. And then he came to Carlsbad under the influence. He didn't want to go to Carlsbad Cabins or somewhere else. But he came to visit with me, and we talked about this, and he told me about the work that was already beginning, and I promised him that I would pray about it. And when I began to pray, God spoke to my heart. And how glad I am that he did. What a wonderful experience. And so the new beginning, as we thought about this, and I came and I did a Bible study with them, and some of you remember that we came out here and had a service, And but I remember the first Sunday that we were here, the little part of a building over here, and something y'all hadn't had recently, it's hard for me to believe in southeast Texas that it's so dry over here, but it had been raining, and raining, and raining, and that lot was a mud pile where there wasn't water. 
Some of you that was in those first services remember that in order to get from the street to the little building, they had gotten pallets and put out there. And we walked on those pallets so we wouldn't walk in the mud. And But you know what? That first Sunday, that building was full. And I wondered, where did those people come from? And you know what? After that day, if I could put it in a human way, I was hooked. I knew down deep in my heart that God wanted me to be a part of what he was doing here. And so we came to Lumberton in 1980. I hated to leave Carlsbad. I had a good church and good people that I loved and loved me. And when I told them that I was coming here to start a new work, uh, they thought I was making a mistake. In fact, one of them said, have you lost your mind? But I knew what God was wanting. But you know, after they knew that I meant business, would you believe and they were so glad to get rid of me that they voted to help support the mission. And they did that for about two or three years. Some of you can remember that. And the church in New Mexico thought it was great for a church in Mexico to be able to help a mission in Texas. But they did that, and I look back and I say, thank you for that church and for that privilege of being here. I think that Edith and I were members number 32 and 33 of the mission, if I can remember right, somewhere close to that. And God was working, working in Edith and me in a very special way, working in the mission. I remember asking Brother Carter Huck when we were talking about this, I'd say, oh, where are the, I remember all the nothing out here. And I'd say, where are the people coming from? He said, they'll be there. And they were. And they came. And soon the first little building that we had up yonder was too small. I remember one Sunday that as we had the services, the little building was running over with people. And, you know, it's, it's good to preach to a full house, even if the house is a closet. And, uh, but it had people who were standing on the outside and on the inside. And we knew that we were going to need uh, a larger building. And then came the double Y. Do you remember that? And how happy we were to to get that space. And uh, again, we find as we moved from one building to another, we doubled our size in one week when the portable building uh, came to be. Uh, a part of it, and some of you can remember us working on that, and, and we was in the first uh, double building the first day, and we had the worship service in the auditorium, and, and the building there, and then we built a little uh, off to the side, had the nursery over here, and, and the restrooms over there, the two important places, and then we had those, and after we closed the first, the first service, we put everything aside, and we had to be totally baptistic, so we had dinner in the church uh, that day, and some of you can re- remember that. But as time went on, uh, we had the first permanent brick building. And somewhere there's some pictures of, uh, I believe I see pictures of the building up yonder now. All right. But there's a picture of breaking the ground for that first permanent building. And uh, again, the Baptist General Commission of Texas was so much involved 
we they helped us with the plans for the building, what they called a 235 building, which was that first brick building. With and there's that picture I've been wanting about with with the plow, a plow up there. Brother Alex Drennan, you will see him up there, and I can't recognize some of the others uh, was there with us, but. Uh, that was breaking the ground for the brick building, the first brick building uh, uh, that we had. And so that the convention helped with that. Uh, they furnished the plans, and they helped with the money. And the work was growing continually. Bye-bye. And it was really something special. When we got out of those metal buildings into that brick building, we had an auditorium. We had a baptistry. And... We had the fellowship hall in the back, not like the one you got now, but all of those things. And we thought that was fantastic and it was great. And uh, what a joy it was as we uh, entered the building. But you know, time began to realize that we needed more room. And we had the five acres, but we were growing and we needed more room. And as time went on, the land north of us up here was for sale. And the, that's the land where now the Family Life Center and uh, all and the chapel that we call the was worship center now we call the chapel uh, where it's located. But that property was for sale, and we tried to buy it, and then, it was too high. But in a way, we could afford it, so we just backed off and waited for a little while. And you know what happened? They that wait upon the Lord, Lord's going to take care of them. As we waited, the land. Didn't sell. I think some of us was praying that it wouldn't sell. <laughs> and the land didn't sell. And the price came down. And so we looked at it again. And we both had a business meeting. And we voted to buy the land. Not really knowing how we were going to pay for it. But we were going to buy it. Believe it or not. And some of you know about this. The next day. My telephone rang. And a precious lady who's gone on to heaven now asked me, said, Pastor, how did the vote go on the land? I said, we voted to buy it. She said, that's good. I just wanted to know how much to make the check for. And that dear lady paid for that land, that part of the worship center over here, what is now the chapel is on, and the family life center. See, that's how God was working all along the way. I had no idea that someone would do that. But God said he would supply all your needs to call into his riches and glory. That's another picture of groundbreaking up there. But God continued to work. And things were happening. And more land became available. This land where we are now. And the building that we are in today became a a reality. What a wonderful experience to watch it take place day by day by day as it came about. Some of the first, as I've talked about, my first Sunday here, here with you and the people standing outside, what an experience that was in the first Sunday in the double white building. I mentioned that a while ago where we met together and then we ate together. And... I'll never forget the first Sunday in that permanent building where we were over in that. And we thought that was it until it was too small. 
We first built some education space on the back of it back there. And then came the time that we needed a new worship center. And we began to work on that. And, and God was working that out. And each one had a part in it some way. And we used it together we build and all that type of program. And God worked it out. And that building was built. My brother-in-law and I had a part in that, and, and the first pulpit we had, some of you remember my brother-in-law, George Sibley, uh, built that. In fact, I think it's in the men's classroom now. And then the cross that's behind the baptistry in that chapel, my brother-in-law and I built that and put it up and with the lights in it. And I walked in today and I saw the lights was on and I thought about my sweet pea. Anytime she went in that auditorium, she looked, and if the lights wasn't on that cross, she sent me to get to turn them on. She thought they always had to be on. But all that was taking place as God began to work in those things as we went out. And the first continued to grow on and go on and on and on until the first day you was in here. And then the other things, Brother Mark, your first day in July, all those things, and you know, God took such a wonderful time. But quickly, let us look at today. And when I look out over this, and I drive on this parking lot, I want to say, wow, look what God has done. In fact, I'm kind of like I believe Adam must have been when God created Eve. You remember this? <laughs> Adam was there, and God put him to sleep. That was the first operation, the first anesthetic. Put him to sleep. He took his rib out. When he took that rib out, he made Eve. And then he let Adam wake up. I just kind of believe when he saw Eve, he said, Wow, look what God did. <laughs> and my dear people, when I walk around here, I remember that old sign in that open land. I remember the little portable buildings. And I remember, and I come in here. And I can't help but say, wow, look what God did. But i got news for you folks. He ain't through yet. He's not through. My, what God has done with you, what God has done for you, what God has done with you and to you. And I have to say to God, be the glory. And folks, it is to the praise and the glory of God. There's rejoicing in heaven when souls get saved, but I believe there's rejoicing in heaven when those who've gone on, the saints of this church, are in heaven and see what God is doing here. So quickly, let me say to you, look to the future. Where there's no vision, the people perish. This church has had a vision. Look to the future. The future is as bright as your vision. The Bible says, look into the fields for their white under harvest. There's a lot of people in Lumberton now, and the most of them don't know Jesus, if it's like most places. So, look to the future with a love for God and each other. Folks, I'm going to tell you, Crestwood Baptist Church has something that most churches don't have, and I, I pray you will never lose it. That's a love for God and a love for one another that makes it a special family. And dear people, work at keeping that love. Will you do that? Oh, it's so important that you love one another. And then a commitment and a determination to serve God. 
This is here because some folks had that commitment and that determination. And as I look out over this building, there's more of you that I don't know than I do know. You've come. Stay here. Love each other and love God. And you go forward. God has blessed you with a good pastor and his wife. I want to challenge you and urge you that special love that Crestwood has. You have that for Brother Mark and his wife as you loved Edith and me. It's so special. And I've been in a lot of churches in the last 12, 14 years. Most of them don't have that. I don't want this church to lose it. Then you keep that loving spirit that is so real in this church and determined to go forward with God and for God. I thank God for allowing me to be a part of this great church. I also thank you for all that you've done for me. You're so special. I now live in Tucson, Arizona. My body is there. I stay busy for our Lord. I'm working as a chaplain in two hospitals there and working with a, a senior. They don't call them senior, uh, they don't call them nursing homes over there, senior adult centers. And doing some things like that. Have a, a part of me will always be here at Crestwood. I pray for you often and I want you to pray for me. Many of you have been through what I've been going through in the last few months, and folks, it's something else. Remember these things as you go forward. Love God with all your heart. Love your pastor and his wife. Love each other as God has loved you. Go forward. Process the land. And remember this. Something to remember. Everything that God has ever done, He can do now. Everything that God has done every, anywhere else, He can do right here. Anything that God has ever done for anyone else, He can do for you and you and you. But if it's to be, it's up to you. It's up to you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this great church. And Lord, as we look at the past, and we look at the present, and we look to the future, and I pray that this church will go forward in a mighty, mighty way. In the sweet, marvelous, precious name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles and go to Proverbs 29. We'll be there in just a moment, but let me do this. <clears throat> I want to see if uh, we have people that came a long ways. Now, Brother Parks, is, we know you came a long, long way. If you came today and you drove more than 15 miles to get here, won't you raise your hand, if you will? All right, good, hands down. If you drove more than 50 miles to be here, Raise your hand. There's some. All right. And finally, if you drove a hundred or more miles to be here, raise your hand. All right. We're going to let y'all have lunch first. Okay. <laughs> but wait till I get through preaching, would you? That, uh, 
we are so grateful that everybody has been. I love coming to church here. You know, I just really do. It's, uh, man, what a great, great place to be full of great people. I have a son who's 20, I don't know, not quite 30. And uh, 27. And I think I may have mentioned this in another context one time, but I'll share it with us today because it fits very well. When he was in elementary school, it was the time that they were doing the vision tests at school. And to that point, he had been, uh, he had, let's say, he just dodged the trend of the road trammel family and he didn't need glasses up to that point. But he came home one day and he had a king sized attitude. And uh, he was throwing stuff, you know, I mean, shutting doors and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. That's a great picture, I'm sure that. Uh, (laughs) And uh, his mama didn't put up with that kind of stuff as a rule from him. And finally she said, what is the matter with you? And he slammed down a piece of paper and he said, I flunked my seeing test today. I wonder if I were to give us a seeing test today, a vision examination, how would we do as a church? I was thinking when Brother Parks was talking about that sign. By the way, I think that sign they have hanging over there is the actual sign. I could be wrong, but uh, I think the one you'll see when we go to eat lunch in a little bit is the actual sign that was out on the on the property there but whether it is or not it shows you what was there and he was talking about the sign being out there and driving by and you know where the people going to come from I wonder if today we had to come up with a sign to put on the property out here today future home of what if we had to decide today Let me say it this way. If we had to make a decision today that 30 years from now, a church gathers in this very room or one like it on this property and looks backward, what would we say that would set them up to be able to look backwards like we do today and say to Brother Parks and to those of you who are charter members here in early generation, well done, well done. Well done to you. What would it take for them to say that to us 30 years from now? You see, one of the great dangers of a church that has been blessed by God is that that same church just fall into a thing that is kind of a go-through-the-motions approach to doing church And there's no real sense of purpose. There's no real sense of vision. Somewhere over 30 years ago, a group of people sat down and said, God has a plan for that piece of property. What is God's plan for this piece of property as we move forward? You'll notice in that booklet that you'll get if you haven't already gotten one that one of the, the thing that I said that they recorded in there ties to what I'm trying to get across right now. We, as the 2011, moving towards 2012, Crestwood Baptist Church are the beneficiaries of a group of people who had God's vision and put their heart and soul into this work. And we are grateful, right? 
But we also have a trust here that as we move forward, there is going to be a generation of people who will come after us and they're going to look back at us in this day and age and they're going to ask themselves, what did those people do? We're going to make life harder on them or easier on them with just how we approach this question. What is our vision here? I want us, before we get to this passage that I want to talk about, I want to make sure that we understand the difference between mission and vision. Mission is what we're supposed to be doing. Really, a mission statement should be short enough that you could put it on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker and everybody get what you're talking about. Jesus has done that for us as a church, as Christian people. Jesus very clearly said, make disciples. You know the passage in Matthew? Hello, you with me? What's the passage in Matthew at the very end? Go ye there. Now see, we as Baptists, we like to emphasize the go. Because we don't like staying because we know the people where we are. No, that's not true. Go ye therefore into... What does it say? Look on the deal. Make disciples. That's the mission statement. Jesus supplied that for us. That is what we're about. Now a vision statement, on the other hand answers the question, what kind of church will we be to do that? It's critical to the actual functioning of the church. Jesus says, this is what you're about. The vision statement drops it right back onto us and says, okay, how are we going to do that? What is it that we're to be about as we're making disciples? Proverbs 29, 18. Brother Parks quoted it. We've heard it in a couple of other contexts uh, already. So let's look at it together. Proverbs chapter 29 in verse 18. Now, you know that uh, typically I read out of the English Standard Version, but I actually brought a piece of paper here with several different translations because this one verse, actually on the first half of the verse is all I'm going to focus on, is translated in various ways. The English Standard Version says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Now that doesn't communicate well for us if we learn this out of the King James Version, which says, where there is no vision, the people perish. New American Standard says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. The New International Version says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off Restraint. Now, what you ought to see when you get to a passage like that, when there's, even though it's all in the same basic realm, the translations are kind of different about that, then that ought to cause us to stop and say, okay, now wait a minute, what is it saying here? So let me break it down very quickly. The first key word is what the King James Version says is vision. That's also what the uh, New, New American Standard says. The English Standard says no prophetic vision. NIV says revelation. Maybe Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1 will help us out. Let me just read it for you. You don't have time to turn there, although I know Spencer's quick. Here's what Isaiah 1 1 says. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, 
which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. One more time. The vision of Isaiah, which he saw concerning. Here's vision for us. This word is the direct input of God regarding future and direction. One more time. The word that's used here, whether we take the King James approach where there's no vision, or the English Standard Version where there's no prophetic vision, whichever of those you take, the NIV revelation, those represent for us this basic direction statement from God. It is the ability... Well, let me rephrase that because I don't like that term. It is God's specific input for us regarding our future direction. So Isaiah gets this message from God, the vision concerning Jerusalem and Judah. You go read through the book of Isaiah, you'll see that Isaiah has some very troubling words to say about the future and some comforting ones. So when we come to this passage in Proverbs, where there is no vision, no input from God, no direction from God, the next statement then is troubling for us. The English Standard Version and the New International Version take this word perish from the King James and say they cast off restraint. Unrestrained is another way to say it as the New New American Standard does. What does that mean? When God doesn't give the input and the direction for us and we have no sense of that, what does it mean the people perish? What does it mean that they cast off restraint? A great picture of this occurs as it relates to Israel and their golden calf issue. I don't have time to go back and set that whole thing up, but in Exodus chapter 32, there is this statement. Exodus 32 and verse 25, the same word is used here. Exodus 32:25. and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose. Now, you remember what the picture was that they translate as broken loose? Moses had gone up, get the Ten Commandments from God. Aaron stays behind the people, take all of their gold, and they throw it into the fire, and lo and behold, what happens? It's a miracle. This golden calf just jumps out of the fire. That's what they said. Now, is that what happened? They threw all this in, they melted it down, and they fashioned a golden calf. For what purpose? For idolatry. And so now, verse 25, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, Proverbs had cast off restraint. King James had perished. See, the picture that we get in Proverbs 29, 18 basically says this, that if God doesn't give us direction regarding our future, we're sunk. So whatever else we want to do on our 30th anniversary celebration, we sure better figure out where God's taking us. Don't you think? Because really it doesn't matter what I say. If I sit in my office over there 
what, in an area that used to be just an open field, probably big trees there at some point. I can sit in there all day long and put what little brain power I have to work, and I can come up with some elaborate plan about what we need to do. But let me tell you something. If that's not God's plan, I'm wasting my time and yours. What we need is for God to say to us, this is where we're going. Over 30 years ago, God said that to some people in this place. And for 30 years, people in this place have said, we follow God's direction. Oh, it's a good time for us to have a recommitment to that. We follow God's direction, whatever that may be for us. The value of vision for us in a church is that it gives us clarity. And it also gives us motivation to do the things that we, not not that we could do. My dad used to say, when it comes to ministry, the need is not the call. Just because we can look out and see 10,000 different needs out there doesn't mean that God's called us to meet all 10,000 of them, but he has called us to meet some of them. And we have to determine where is it that God is calling us to plug in. And when we find that, it gives us incredible clarity. Hear me very carefully. When we determine where God's taking us, that has to impact how we budget. It has to impact how we spend our money as a church because if we spend it on anything that doesn't take us to where God's trying to get us to go, we're wasting God's money then. By the way, when we zero in on what he wants us to do and determine to do it, he'll make sure that the money's there. (laughs) God's economy is a crazy jacked up thing sometimes, at least in our nice, comfortable, conservative world. The value of vision. Aubrey Malfers says that vision has the potential to turn a maintenance mentality into a ministry mentality. So what is God's design for us? What might be God's vision for this church? Let me give you where I'm coming from. Now, I already told you, it didn't do any good for me to sit over in my office and come up with something. This has to be the church saying, we believe God is taking us to this place. But let me at least give you something to roll around in your head. I believe that God would have us be a connect. I'm going to give you this statement, okay? And then I'm going to begin over the next number of weeks in various ways to break it down for us. I'll break it down quickly today, give you some implications of it. But I believe this is worth considering. Matter of fact, I'm going to argue pretty strongly that this is worth considering for us as a church. I believe that God would have us be a connected community that produces disciples who gather regularly for vibrant worship and disperse into the marketplace of southeast Texas, sharing life. Let me run that by you one more time. As my dad used to say, I'm going to cripple it, and I'm going to make it walk by in front of you this time. I believe that God would have us be a connected community that produces disciples who gather for vibrant worship and disperse into the marketplace of southeast Texas and beyond, sharing life. 
Let me break it down for you and give you a few of the implications as we go. I know that there would be some who would say, Now, preacher, if you're going to start talking about vision, then you need to be talking about us getting bigger. Here's my issue with that. I don't believe that God calls any church to build a kingdom. I believe he calls every church to build the kingdom. And when we build the kingdom, the focus is not on how many buildings or how big the buildings. The focus is always on people. Let me tell you something. We get serious about doing God's plan for us as a church. It's always going to involve people. It's always going to involve sharing life with those people. And he just might say to us, you're going to need bigger buildings. But if the goal is bigger buildings, you got the wrong pastor. I just don't, I don't know how else to tell you than that. Because God calls us into relationships with people. But we take life with us. But you see, that's such a full statement. You don't take something to somebody that you don't have to give, right? What you take is what you have to offer. So if we're going to say our job, I hate the way that sounds, sounds awfully easy, (laughs) our calling is to get out into the marketplace and invest ourselves in people and share life with them, that means by definition we better have life to share. So let me just stop and let me just smack you right between the eyes. Do you really want somebody to have the kind of Christian life you have? Is your Christian life so vibrant and so full of joy despite the circumstances that you can really recommend it to somebody? I'm going to tell you something. I grew up in church. For many, many years, I was one of those Christians who wore it as a label, and that's all it was. I guarantee you, I don't want anybody to have the life that I had in those days. It's death. A connected community. That's the first one of these things. This is about us. This one is. Connected community. You know, lots of churches. Um, well, I heard a guy say it this, this way. If you take... Okay, now don't try this at home. Okay? Children, do not under any circumstances do this. You can take two cats. See, you just fill in the blanks. I'm just going to go on. You already. Fi- <laughs> you can take two cats and tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline. You don't have community there. Oh, you got lots of togetherness, but you don't have any community. Right? Lots of churches are that way, you know. They just take people who carry that badge that says Christian, throw them into a building together, and say, okay, now worship, and then go home. Whatever else that is, it's not community. Churches who emphasize that kind of approach to church are going to feel very out of place in heaven, I'm afraid. Because you see the very nature of who we are. The New Testament calls it a body. It's it's serious business, this thing called community. 
And so one of the things that we have to be about is building community. It won't just happen. Just because we decide to throw a service in a building and we all come together doesn't make us a community any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. It just doesn't work that way. You have to work at it. A connected community. That means that we invest our lives in each other. This is about us. And one of the reasons this is so important is because this world is a very dangerous place in which to live. Have you figured that out? I, I knew a guy years ago now who had three sons, all teenagers, and these guys were incredible. I, I, they just astounded me with the way they lived their lives, strong witnesses for Christ in the high school, taking shots left and right for their faith. And I sat down with their dad one day. I was a youth minister at the time. And I said, how is it that you're able to do this and create this for these guys? How can your sons be so strong in their faith at such a young age? He said, I determined years ago and we decided as a family that when they came home, it was going to be a safe place. A place of refuge from the fights of life. That's what church ought to be. Hello? Hello? That's what church ought to be. No cutting each other up in church. An investment of self. Warts, scars, all of that aside, we come together, a connected community. The next phrase, that produces disciples. I think we do this fairly well as a church. Pretty good Sunday school program, I think. But here's the problem. Here's one of those implications, okay? This is get your checkbooks out time. We have some issues here about space when it comes to making disciples. The best way to... I love church, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But, you know, the best way to really build disciples is in small groups. It occurs in Sunday school classes. It occurs in mentoring kind of relationship. It occurs as people gather together and invest themselves in one another and work forward in their Christian faith. And right now, we're pretty well maxed on the kind of space that we seem to need to do that. So we're going to have to look at that. And there's some issues related to that. We also need some strategy as it relates to that. At this point, what we have, we're doing fairly well, but it seems to be kind of out there. If we're going to be intentional about making disciples, if that's where God wants us to go, by the way, that one's not up for grabs. We definitely know that's where God wants us to go. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to do this given what we have or what we need. Probably, by the way, also means we're going to have to rethink the way we have looked at staff. Because at this point... You see, the biblical admonition for a pastor is that he not do the work by himself, but that he equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know what that means? He invests himself in the leadership who then invest themselves into other people who then invest themselves into other people. Let me tell you something. One pastor, whether he's a youth pastor or a music pastor or a senior pastor, one pastor can only have so many of those relationships. And the day of saying we hire somebody to do that job need to be long gone here. Make disciples. A connected 
community making disciples who gather regularly for vibrant worship. Okay, now we get this part. But it has to be a mainstay for us. We cannot afford to de-emphasize vibrant worship. And the reason for that is because many people come into a church strictly for the worship service. And I can talk about Sunday school classes and small group studies and that kind of stuff all day long. And many people sit in the church service and say, I ain't doing that. Sorry, preacher, I ain't doing that. I don't know those people. I'm not getting in a small group with somebody I don't know. And so the only thing they get is what we do in here. And it better be good every time. It's kind of like getting bad service at a restaurant. You go, we're getting ready to eat. It's going to be good food, okay? Trust me. If you go to a restaurant and they bring out your plate and you got a dead mouse on the side of your plate, you going back to that place? If you are... I'll counsel with you all week long, okay? <laughs> and then, by the way, these things have a lot more room for us to talk about them. A connected community that, may, uh, that produces disciples who gather regularly for vibrant worship and disperse into the marketplace of Southeast Texas, sharing life. You know, we don't exist for ourselves here. We can have a 31st, 32nd, 33rd, 149th anniversary celebration year after year after year. And if all it is is a feel-good ceremony for us, we're missing God's plan for us. Let me tell you something. There are people all out in the woods here and out of the plants where you work and in the grocery store where you shop. And those people desperately need life in your schools and in your band. And on your team and in your neighborhood, people desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something, that's why Crestwood's here. God doesn't need to go to Africa and grab a church from over there and send Christians to Lumberton to deal with these people. He's got a church here. That's our job to take the good news of Jesus Christ. To those people. Every one of you knows somebody who's lost. And it breaks God's heart that it's that way. Dispersing into the marketplace of Southeast Texas and beyond. We have to start locally, but our reach exceeds our grasp when we reach beyond us, even to further places. God's called us here to make a difference. What I think our vision as a church ought to be, what I think is God's vision for us, better said, a connected community that produces disciples who gather regularly for vibrant worship and then disperse into the marketplace of Southeast Texas and beyond, sharing life. If we were to embrace that, it would change the way we structure what we do. It would change the way we spend money. It would change the way we do just almost everything. But we'd be intentional. And I believe God will bless that. Because I think that's his vision for us. I think 
it's pretty easy for me to take you to Scripture in every one of those places and back that up. The question is, will we do it? What I'm going to ask is as we move forward, probably sometime around February, I'm going to ask that we elect and begin meeting a strategic planning committee that will help us as a church intentionally go to accomplish God's vision for us. That may mean that we need to talk about things like buildings and staffing and a whole lot of other things that are going to dictate for us where we go from here. But you see, again, it's not me saying, okay, here it is, now y'all do it. It is God calling us together as a family, as a body, and we decide. We're Baptists, you know. We decide what God's saying and if we'll be obedient to that. I think 30 years from now, people are going to look backwards and go, oh, must have been exciting living in those days. It is for me. I hope it is for you. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me, please. It's bowed, eyes closed. Let me say to you, it may very well be that you came in here today not really expecting what you're getting, kind of a different service. Maybe you showed up today because your life needs help and you know it. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has a plan for you that is beyond anything you can even imagine. He came, died on the cross after living a perfect life. The Son of God, virgin born, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin so that you could have life. He restores for us a relationship with the Holy God that we could never have on our own. And He leaves the choice at our feet and says, Life is here. Take it or leave it. So if that's you today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I'd invite you today to take life. Place your faith in Him as your Savior. If you do that, and maybe you're hearing that saying, okay, I, I want to do that, I need to do that, I just don't know how to do that. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to ask everybody to stand. Y'all can just walk down. And I'll visit with you. There's nothing special, nothing magical about walking down the aisle. It's just coming to where there's help. We'll talk to you about how to accept Christ as your Savior. It may very well be that there's many of us here. and What we've done is settled for a life that is kind of churchy, but not really very alive. Oh, yeah, we accepted Christ at some point, but it's really kind of been more of a religion than anything else. So... My encouragement, my invitation to you today is that you come back to the point of life. Same place that you turned and walked away from Christ, he says, I'm here. And returning is as simple as a prayer that says, I'm, I need that relationship back where it's supposed to be. Finally, I would offer this invitation to you. If you're looking for a church home, I'm telling you that this is a good church. And we're not perfect. We've got too many people for us to be perfect. But God is at work in this place. There's a place for you to plug in and serve him and grow here.
We'd invite you to join us. So, Father, we come to this time of invitation. We pray that lives would be changed for your glory through your power, even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.